everyone. Welcome back to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. This is now episode seven of the new Playable Futures mini-series. We're hosting that here on your regular GI podcast feed. Quickly, I'm Will Freeman, freelance game journalist, long-time GI contributor, do all sorts of bits in the games industry. And right now, I'm the host of Playable Futures. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the future of games consumption. Obviously, the shift from physical to digital, you know, we're well into that by now, but there's all these new things, subscription services, streaming and publisher-specific platforms and digital storefronts becoming platforms, games appearing playably in TikTok and that kind of thing. This change in the relationship between games and platforms may be a flight from platforms or maybe platforms are going to stick around longer than we think. To discuss all those things and more, we brought together two perfect guests for that discussion, and it really is a fascinating conversation that was as fun as it is insightful. I was lucky enough to be joined by Stephanie King, Chief Administrative and Legal Officer at Playco, an instant gaming company. She brings this amazing heritage from Zynga and Twitter and all kinds of places. And Carol Severin, Senior Analyst and Co-Founder at Media Research. And again, Carol takes this amazing kind of holistic look at games and kind of their place in the wider spectrum of kind of entertainment and audiences um and yeah so bringing those two together it was a great conversation if this is your first episode playable futures is a project that gathers insights from industry veterans and leaders creative visionaries and people shaking up what games can be why we're hoping to peer into the future of gaming and gaming as a medium and industry and where things are going We've got a load of episodes behind us already. You can check out Conversations with the United Nations, Platonic, Sega's Amplitude Studios, Roll7, Gearbox, loads more. And just quickly, before we dive in, thanks so much to Project Partners, Yuki and Diva Agency for working with us to make Playable Futures as a podcast possible. That's all you need to know for now. Let's dive into the conversation. Right, I think it's about time we got started talking about the consumption of games. Um, so much talk here as games kind of perhaps are taking this journey from the traditional economy of platforms and so many potential new ways to go and potential opportunities. I'm very lucky to be joined by two kind of perfectly fitting voices in this space. Um, Stephanie King, Chief Administrative and Legal Officer at Playco. Knowing Stephanie a little, I know that her what she actually does with her time in games certainly uh, goes a little beyond what the uh, beyond that job title alone. And also a real perfect compliment, Carol Severin, Senior Analyst, VP of Data, and Co-Founder at Media Research. Thank you so much both for joining me. Um, just to set the context before we dive in, I'll just get you to introduce kind of your time in games. Um, Stephanie, if I could just uh, hear who you are and what you've been up to in games, that'd be great. Thank you so much, Will. Very excited to be here. Uh, yes, my current role at Playco was a little bit of coming home. I started in gaming in 2010 at Zynga uh, when they were on the rise and one of the earliest uh, gaming companies on Facebook platform. And I was there through very, very interesting times with partnerships with Lady Gaga uh, doing a lot of pro bono fundraising for Red Cross and others, um, and also seeing the acquisition of uh, Words with Friends and and the evolution of uh, Social Casino and other types of, of the snack type games. And then I moved to ad tech, which may seem like an odd place to move, but actually advertising still is one of the main 
uh, monetization options for games, especially in the freemium model. So understanding the ad space, the ad tech space was really important to understand uh, how these games get funded and what are the driving factors there and how does that impact the content that's made. Uh, then I had a stint at Twitter, so a platform that hasn't really integrated games yet, but I hope they will in the future. But understanding how platforms work, I was head of product and privacy there and worked with the team that uh, reviewed and partnered with the business on what we were putting out in the world, both on the Bluebird side, which is the app you see and either uh, love or love to hate, <laughs> and also the Goldbird side, which was how do you pay for this free app? <laughs> and so the ad tech experience was helpful there. And then I moved from Twitter to Playco, where I am today. I've been here two years. We're an instant gaming company. And so it brought a lot of those experiences together. Uh, and now we're working on the future of gaming an easy way to get games through just a click in HTML5, also Web3, we've pushed into as well. So uh, learning a lot about where games are today and where they could be going in the future. Perfect. Thanks so much for that, Stephanie. Really appreciate it. Now, Carol, you kind of could be seen as coming from a different space, but it's actually quite a complementary perspective. You know, I'd be really interested to hear kind of what your professional life in games is Absolutely. Thanks, Will. Hi, everyone. Uh, so I'm uh, co the co-founder and senior games industry analyst at Media Research. We are an entertainment intelligence firm uh, based in London, and we work with some of the most successful companies across entertainment to help them shape their strategic thinking. Um, we provide you know, consumer and market insights, data and analysis to help companies understand some of the opportunities and pitfalls as the nature of entertainment consumption continues to evolve. And so, you know, very glad to be here. Uh, certainly a very, very uh, topical uh, chapter today for, for the type of work uh, that we do. I guess the, the, the lens through which we view the world is very much one of the sort of holistic understanding of consumers' lives across entertainment, uh, particularly because no matter what kind of entertainment sector you're in, you're really still competing for the same 24 hours in the day. And uh, that's where we've sort of made uh, a sizable intellectual bet sort of nearly a decade ago now when we started Media Research was to start trying to understand how uh, consumers you know, think about entertainment as a, as a whole. As we were, you know, uh, as, as we saw in data that the sort of formerly siloed entertainment sectors and those walls were going to start crumbling down and entertainment was going to start overlapping more and more. Uh, so we tried to make sure that we that we marry up insights from the side of sort of consumer psychology uh, together with, you know, developments in macroeconomic trends and industries and markets to sort of help our clients look around the corner. So interesting to hear kind of as you introduce yourselves, how complementary your kind of expertise or the angles you're coming from. And so interesting to hear Carol talk about other forms of entertainment and that kind of more holistic view, because I feel as games relationships with platforms or even flight from platforms is happening in step with a kind of move across a 
intersection with more entertainment forms, right? Gigs in Fortnite, how esports is pushing things, uh, film and television being made from game tools. Before we drive dive too forward into that, I'd just love to talk about, before we dive into the future, I'd love to talk about the now. Um, and I guess, yeah, what for either of you, I'd love to talk about kind of what defines where we are today with how things are changing in terms of games' relationship with their platforms. Uh, Carol, I'll throw that one to you first. I'd like to always sort of zoom out as much as I can when sort of, uh, you know, trying to talk about what's happening now because there are so many things and it's a real jungle. But fundamentally, it all comes down to the fact that we are still amidst this transition from the sort of unit sales-based business model or the way the industry works towards this engagement-based dynamics. And that dynamic applies across the whole value chain, right? You've got, you've got it applying uh, uh, in terms of what games we are seeing in the market, in terms of how sort of product development is informed, all the way through to how distribution uh, is being changed and sort of innovated or disrupted, depending on who you ask. Uh, and, you know, there are essentially fundamental reasons for why this is happening, but uh, these are all kind of grounded in how consumer behavior is evolving, you know, with the rise of the smartphones and digital environments and, and the increasing share of our lives that we spend in those environments and generally in the digital uh, environment as such. I'm sure we'll dive into those a bit later, but the last thing I wanted to say on this is, you know, this transition is ultimately what Im impacts what's really happening right now on all of these fronts, I would say probably the most. But of course, it impacts different games companies completely differently, right? You've got some companies that are pioneering these changes. Then you've got some that are adapting to it because they're seeing an additional value to it. And then you've got some that are essentially, so to say, you know, standing their ground to sort of resist uh, and they also have their very good reasons for that. So none of this change is ever going to happen, you know, in a linear manner. And that's why it kind of creates this sort of jungle uh, that can almost feel actually quite confusing. But I think at the top of everything, this is this is kind of where where we are now. You know, it's certainly more about the shift in 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 the dynamics of where the majority is heading. And I think that's certainly from the unit based sales towards the engagement. Uh, model. But to be clear, none of this is to say that, you know, premium unit sales based games or story driven single players games are going away. Uh, I want to be very clear from the very start that probably none of what I will say today is black and white <laughs> before I get called out. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a reasonable, you know, we're almost experiencing this breadthening of the medium rather than shift and doing away with old experiences before I start doing what I do and talk too much. Stephanie, for the listener, and there was some enthusiastic nodding during then. I just, yeah, if you wanted to pick up on what Carol was saying on just how you see the change today. Yeah, no, I, so much of what Carol said resonated with me. Um, my driving belief is that games connect people. People want to play to feel connection um, and escape. You know, it is entertainment. Games are part of entertainment. And Carol mentioned this earlier that you are competing for entertainment uh, time and budgets. Uh, but also, how can we as a game industry produce content and experiences that really 
bring that connection, that rich experience to people. And when we say games, as Carol mentioned, that they are, there's a wide range. You have like really immersive, you know, console experiences. And then you have my end of the spectrum, which are really casual games to that are snacks, but they're social, like they are intended to connect and ideally with people, you know, um, and we can talk about that a little bit more. But I, to me, the, the, the basic is like, how how do people connect in the psychology that uh, Carol was mentioning before? What do they want? How do they want to connect? It's different. Um, but with the rise of social media and social networks, the increased computing power, all of this, like you can bring richer and a more diverse experiences to consumers. But at the end of the day, I, I do see people connecting. So I have a teenage son who is a gamer and he does do the immersive experiences, um, whereas I'm more on like the casual gaming end of things. I love things like Wordle. But uh, how do you make money at the end of the day for all of this so that you can actually fund building experiences people actually want um, versus experiences that you have to make money? And that is still uh, a huge competing interest in the experience for players uh, and that connection. So um, those were kind of some of the things that I, I uh, that yeah. resonated with me or I was thinking about as Carol was speaking. And as you speak there and kind of very deliberately use that word connection a few times, which is so defining of many gaming experiences, right? You make me realise it could be, and I'm, warning, I'm thinking off the top of my head here, but almost platforms are kind of contrary to the definition of what games are as collected shared experiences, right? Um and I'd love to start hearing about how we think, particularly I'm imagining kind of developers and publishers listening, what's kind of, you know, moving into thinking in the future, what are the near-term opportunities? I might stick with yourself, actually, Stephanie, obviously this is a present or recent thing, is games on TikTok and Zoom, right? I'd be interested in, does that to you, Stephanie, suggest what might be increasingly common? Yeah, I think we've seen in the last few years, particularly during the pandemic, and Carol, I'm sure, has data to uh, speak more in depth about this, but a rise in gaming, right? Because people were home and they had more time and they were trying to connect remotely to folks. Um, and so a lot of platforms like Zoom and TikTok and others that didn't traditionally have gaming started to look into apps, including games, where people could connect. I think that, that uh, platforms that are still the newer platforms are still figuring out and even the the big behemoths like Facebook are still figuring out slash meta are still figuring out how do you um, how do you build games people want within the experience of the platform because they don't want people to leave the platform right they want them to have the experience within uh, the platform itself um, but how do you build quality content how do you um, have discoverability of the content and many people may not know zoom has apps and games and many people don't know that that even exists and even if you know it's hard to find them and even if you can find them if you're not logged in you may not be able to play so there's a lot of technical stuff in the background and if it's not the main focus of of that platform it's going to be hard to find and play even though the tech is there on the gaming side um so from a platform perspective, that's that's that kind of platform. I think we could talk about the other types of platforms and maybe we'll get into it later of mobile, like the move to mobile. Many people interact on mobile 
versus in in the past I remember like Nintendo where my Game Boy was a big deal because that was mobile but it was still confined it wasn't connected to the internet or anything um, but now we have mobile devices that are constantly connected and it opens up a, a much many more experiences but uh, that takes us into a whole different ecosystem mm-hmm. um, so all those things are at play when we talk about platforms and what the future of gaming could be uh, and the tech, the gaming tech itself versus the platform tech and policies. And yeah, Carol, I don't know if anything you wanted to pick up on what Stephanie said or just the general kind of theme of where things are going to be going in the nearer future. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with a lot of things that Stephanie brought up, particularly that key next challenges for all these platforms, you know, doing discovery and what I kind of call the sort of digital decluttering. Uh, you know, we've, Essentially, over the last 20 years, we solved this kind of consumer problem of wanting to own more, right? We sort of turned on the 999 tap of content everywhere all the time. So once you solve a problem that is, I want to own more, now that you own everything, the next problem, which is what the next generation is moving on to solve, crudely speaking, is... How do you make sense of it all? And how do you make it actually useful, right? Because once you've got everything, you immediately become the victim of the tyranny of choice. Yeah, And you can, you can see it sort of empirically, but you can see it, you know, in data. It's like, uh, I, I know a lot of people that, you know, find themselves, if we, you know, go away from games for a second, you know, browsing for a lot longer today before they decide what to watch on Netflix than, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, and so it was the same kind of like when, you know, data first came into, you know, Vogue and companies saying, well, we should use a lot of data. And everyone got huge amounts of data. And then it was like, oh, uh-oh, we, how do we like make sense of it all? Because we now have too much of it. So I, I agree that's, that's going to be a really key challenge. And actually, probably the winning platforms, in my opinion, for the next sort of, you know, 10, 15, 20 years are going to be the ones that are going to do the best job of helping declutter and just being quote unquote useful to the consumer. Uh, Less so about more and more content. I was going to say, you know, with the sort of consumers being very busy, et cetera, and sort of uh, wanting to connect, you know, this is going to all happen sort of increasingly more often. The only, at Media, we, we publish every year what we call this model that we call the attention economy model. And essentially, we look at how consumers allocate their time across entertainment. And most importantly, how much time do they still have left to allocate? And it actually turns out not a lot. Uh, you know, there is continuously more and more content, more and more entertainment proposition asking for your attention. While the one thing that's never changed is, you know, 24 hours in the day. And so consumers were ag- arguably maxed out on their available time already back in 2019. Uh, and And, you know, a couple of years later, what's happening is that time spent on entertainment is now still growing a little bit. And obviously, we had a couple of anomalous years with this COVID boosting engagement, but then, you know, lockdowns going away and sort of it correcting a little bit. But really, uh, what's happening is that, you know, time spent on entertainment is still growing a little bit. But at the same time, really, that growth is now only driven by decreasing focused engagement and the rise of multitasking. And that's a really uh, important point because 
it bodes well or less well for different parts of the games industry. Um, but one thing that, you know, that is true for everyone is that a minute of engagement no longer carries the same amount of attention and therefore value than it once used to. And we call that the sort of attention inflation concepts, if, if you will. But, you know, so if the games industry as a whole is sort of increasingly more dependent on time spent, but at the same time, growing time spent is becoming harder and harder, uh, one of the most organic ways, you know, of sort of growing uh, for games companies is to actually embrace all the other entertainment formats and, you know, or offering games or on traditionally non-gaming platforms. You know, if we are, if we know that no matter how good your game is, you know, a gamer is probably going to watch some videos, they're going to like to spend some time listening to music, they might follow some sports, then, you know, it's not something you can battle against. Really, the only option is to essentially embrace it, try to incorporate those kinds of consumer needs into your games environment or a world or a platform or whatever we want to call it and essentially in, in, embrace that and turn it into an opportunity and maybe take a cut along the way as you create incremental value rather than try to sort of push back that was a long-winded no no that's brilliant <laughs> and i was gonna i feel i really almost don't need to be here and that stephanie and you i feel could talk for quite a while about this because i could see stephanie nodding stephanie did you want to pick up on anything there or shall I dive on? Yeah, yeah no, go I, for it. Good. Yeah, no, I love I love the uh, like embracing and this, I think, uh, Carol is kind of embracing where people are and where people are communicating. And it may not be the traditional um, gaming platforms. And that can also increase your audience too. going back to there are a lot of different gaming experiences for different people. Um, uh, one thing that I we had we have put games onto Zoom, onto Meta, onto Line in Japan, uh, Viber, TikTok. We, because we're HTML5, we just have a link so we can, um, people can share that way. Uh, one of the things that I, I've talked, I think, a little bit to Will about was other, other communication platforms like Twitter. Um, Twitter is content and has an API. Unfortunately, there are certain decisions being made that will make it harder for uh, companies like gaming companies to leverage that. But in my mind, those are also alternative revenue streams for these platforms. And gaming can be a huge revenue stream if they play it right and they partner with the gaming industry to bring gaming to these um, communication or media platforms that people don't traditionally think of as gaming platforms. And how do you bring content that really leverages that platform and the audience on that platform in a way that they want to engage with with great content. Um, so these are the things I, I like to think about because, uh, you know, I'm a little bit biased having been at Twitter. But to me, I see this huge gaming, healthy gaming ecosystem on Twitter if yeah. gamers could, game developers could access the API yeah. and build and Twitter could take a cut. Yeah. <laughs> but I honestly feel, you know, we're talking... I think the examples you are both giving of like games appearing, games going to where people are, where people are attention, right? People have had to come to games. You've had to invest in a console or a piece or even having a mobile and at least committing to getting into the ecosystem. And I guess to follow on with the next question, you know, I think here in the game industry, we're thinking of streaming and there's 
you know, publisher-owned platforms, Ubisoft or Blizzard would have ones, or even when you load up Call of Duty these days, you're kind of at a Call of Duty platform at the start of the game where you can select different games and modes from, and you might even Game Pass and PlayStation Plus and, you know, these various different ways to access games. But I'm realising these are perhaps reinterpreting traditional gaming platforms rather than you've both been kind of thinking about games escaping into the wider world. Do you think those examples I've kind of mentioned there are relevant now, something to keep an eye on in the future, a distraction? I'd just be interested to hear these sort of almost a gaming platform or a, I guess you could say Steam and Epic Game Store as well, these more digital gaming platforms. How much of the this are they? Um, Stephanie? I don't think those will go away. I know there's often talk of like the great demise of consoles, but um, and there's cloud gaming, but I think they'll evolve. There's still and and Carol's going to know way better than I do. But, you know, watching my son again, who's a teenager, he still wants to go and play the games on the console that has a super rich experience and and world. Um, will it be easier to access or access it in different ways through streaming or through the cloud yes but i i don't know how soon um you know the 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 box is going to go away if it's easier for people who want that really immersive experience they have all the gear they want to you know sit and really lose themselves in that world um i don't know that you can get that on a mobile device you know on your phone right it, it that's a choice of of experience and entertainment that um uh is different from a mobile experience and, and a snack. So, but I'd love to hear from Carol and his thoughts there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, so, uh, many industries, well, across entertainment and even I guess within just games, like the, the term platform has become so used in so many different contexts, right? So I guess in the traditional sense, the sort of, you know, mobile versus PC versus games is one thing, but ultimately, you know, games, and I think it's a part of the reason why sort of games and social media and platforms, we are kind of talking in that context. I, I've, done a, I've done a keynote last year at Gamescom and at PAX West about sort of the cultural relevance, uh, um, about games' cultural relevance in the 2020s. And I argued there that it was that for the next sort of probably half a decade to a decade, you know, the key battle for cultural relevance in digital consumption will be fought between social media and games because each of those are essentially the, the, the unique thing that both have in common is that they are interactive in nature. It means they are the only two places in the digital environment where you can actually uh, define who you are and express your digital image. Right. And th that's, that's a really crucial thing. It's, you know, people are spending mathematically an increasing portion of their lives in the digital environment. And with that, their need to define their image, express themselves, uh, you know, socialize and fulfill other human needs grows stronger. So, and this is particularly pertinent to sort of digital natives, right? Who have been sort of born into this environment without a real reference to the quote unquote offline era, right? Uh, I've, you know, I've read a study the other day. Don't quote me, <laughs> me a source or I can follow up later. <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, 
that that said that a significant portion of young consumers, sort of under 22s or so, say that they find it more important how they come across in digital than how they come across in physical at the moment. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. Because they significant they spend a significantly larger portion of their lives in the digital environment than the average 65-year-old would have at this point. Um, and so that is, I, I think, something that, that, that sort of... Uh, drives this drives this forward a little bit uh you know uh therefore like th this is exactly why it makes sense for you know games wanting to become platforms and mm -hmm. for social media platforms to wanting to incorporate games right uh those it's it's essentially almost like becoming a bit of a way to live right mm -hmm. uh, to me the word platform is a place where consumers want to spend time, money, and communicate for a reason. Yeah. Whatever it may be, right? So it's like, and I think we, we, we got used to the term from the technology side of things, but actually technology is really just a catalyst or an enabler of consumer behaviors and desires, right? So I, I always like to look at, you know, again, one step back before the technology because if we get dictated what current technology does, then we're not really going to yeah, move forward, right? Th that's really interesting. And, you know, I've probably been guilty of this in some of my pre preparation for this episode. It's so easy to get distracted by talking about physical platforms and platforms of services and forget about that, hu you know, the human reasons for this. I'm still the kind of dinosaur I received a game in a box imported from Japan through the post today. So I'm the kind of person who goes, why would you spend money on digital clothes? But if you're representing your identity, I'm happy to spend too much money on physical clothes, right, relative to what they are. So if people are having this more digital life, games flight from platforms is perhaps motivated by that. Uh, Stephanie, I'd, be, I'd love to hear your thoughts here. No, I, I absolutely agree. And and again, having two teenagers who are digital natives and a uh, an eight year old who's definitely a digital native. When I talk about IRL or in real life and what that means, um, it's different for them because they do spend time there. And I think going through the pandemic too, like all of school for two years was boxes on screens and their digital identity. So uh, I I. Going back to earlier comments, it is communicating and connection. I think people are seeking at the core, and uh, I I love the point that Carol made about social media and games are the two places where you can actually interact mm, and yeah. create who you are or be who you are. And uh, so, yes, getting away from you know technology is the means to deliver those experiences and it is changing over time. Um, I, I do think that if there are platforms that I would be curious if any platforms that don't have the community aspect can really make it, um, or if they all will need to have build a rich community aspect and, you know, is the chicken and egg question, like, do you create that because you have great content? So for example, is there like an Epic, store and this gets into the mobile conversation a little bit you can't have an app store in the app store so for example we can't have a playco app with all our playco games to build a brand around playco that people would go to um it, on mobile in the app store um, we can do it on web but then it gets to like how do you do discoverability and get people to to go there to find the content versus 
getting our content and experiences to where people already are. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out over the next several years. Um, so talking about platforms taking it away from the tech, but I, I do think the community aspect and the quality of content drive will platforms be be successful for gaming, whatever the tech is that's delivering yeah, it. You're making me, yeah, the more we talk, the more we're making me realize we're talking about platforms as a kind of cultural entity rather than the technological one. And well, it's not, as I hear myself say that, that's quite inaccurate, but a shift in how we even think of platforms. Speaking of shifts, I'd love to th talk to, and a question to either of you. How connected is this thing if people are now expecting kind of be games being where they are than them having to go to games. We've also got the movement I alluded to, gigs in Fortnite, you know, particularly younger players almost reappropriating, appropriating their use of games as social network, you know, hanging out in a game and not playing the game and socialising. Is, is that, are those kind of trends connected to the kind of shift in platforms? Um, go on, I'll fire that one at you, Carol. Um, yeah, well, I think I think it, it very much comes down to the to the saturated attention economy and to the fact that you know it, one thing is gamers or social media users or whoever are on those platforms. <clears throat> uh, ultimately, they because they are spending so much time there, they want to find you know and define their sort of personas, people, uh, images, etc. For you to do that, you can't just define who you are in a world only playing games, right? Like 30 years ago, your image was defined on a number of things in the physical environment. It was the combination of, I don't know, the clothes you wore, the kind of mm -hmm. music you listened to, the type of job you had. And the same kind of mix, you know, is, is required for you to have in the digital environment. So again, for games, it makes all the sense if, and people are willing to you know define who they are to the point where they are willing to pay for a digital t-shirt yeah. for their character. so the that. the proof of concept is a hundred percent there right yeah so uh, but but it can't just end there if that's the you know ultimately games are are transitioning from just a pastime to becoming a cultural yeah. episode of digital culture right it's one thing is that in the future, perhaps, you know, you yes, you will be playing games inside games, mm -hmm. but predominantly, you will be having fun inside games. Yeah. Okay. And whether that, right, whether that is partially because you are going to meet a celebrity online or partially because you're going to get to attend a gig or because you are going to get to attend a, I don't know, exclusive movie premiere that's, you know, yeah. streamed inside. That's absolutely fine. There is no harm to... To, to the, you know, certainly not to the publisher, right? They are, again, if those are things that are helping them increase the most important metric of today, which is time spent, and in turn, dollars earned per hour spent, yeah. uh, then it would be, it, it, to me, it would be foolish to, to, to keep pushing back against it. Because again, it's a, it's a tidal wave, wave that, that's coming from, consumers needs and desires that are you know probably connected to like the maslow's hierarchy of needs is not something you can just push back against um i mean you can but yeah. ultimately i think it's a tidal wave that's gonna that's gonna 
run over your head at some point. Yeah, and that's so fascinating. I'm sort of, maybe this is a long chin strokey think piece I'll get to write one day, but talking about, you know, you mentioned subcultures then. We used to be, I don't know, punk and modern, skinhead and goth, like, you know, clothes and fashion and music. And now we're having this new identity online. Will platforms get replaced by kind of subcultures? What game we identify with and choose to spend time with? Anyway, I, yeah, that, yeah. Better or worse, I you know you can you can hear uh, consumers being defined by the type of games yeah. they play. Yeah. Even you know for, for for better or worse, yeah. I was you know playing Call of Duty the other day, and I heard some guy trolling some kid, basically saying, "Oh, you're just a Fortnite kid." <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that, that, instead of exactly to your point about you know punk or hip hop yeah, or yeah. skater. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. It's another <laughs> another way of considering yeah. platform. Absolutely, become a part of culture as you as you said yeah uh, and i i will be i one thought there again having teenagers and watching <laughs> yeah. them it'll be i'll be cur- curious to see if they uh, accept like being defined by one uh type of game or if they will defy that and be like no i play this game i play that game i still go to roblox even though i'm 17 i also play fortnite and call of duty or I'll be curious to see if they accept the boxes or if they like yeah. try to yeah. break out of it. But yeah, that's that's really interesting, right? You're I you're forming identity, maturing through platforms. Is a, we'll is a, really a number of number of segments, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, Will. Did I jump? Yeah, no, carry on though, please. You've got more interesting things to say than me. Well, you're gonna you're gonna end up having a number of segments. Similarly, like in music, you know, you used to have people who would only ever listen to metal. Mm-hmm. And then you would have people who say, I like all kinds of music as long as I like the song. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, going back to my original caveat, nothing will ever be black and white yes. in the games industry. Yeah. There'll always yeah. be. Yeah. Oh, and I think that the barriers to entry are lower, right? If you move away from consoles and having to buy physical um, technology to engage, uh, I think that will also be interesting and potentially play into it. And it does come back to, I think you mentioned it as the um, attention economy model. Uh, Carol, it's like, where do people invest their time? Um, even if the barriers or entry are, are lowered, as you said, time is time is the limited uh, resource that you cannot make more of. Speaking of time, I realize I'm letting it fly by and we've still got quite a few questions. So perhaps I'll try and... Um condense some of them but let's talk about that dirty old horrible money no i I joke of course but you know the games monetization i I think we can all see the concept of owning games is fading people are happy with subscription and and that kind of things but what about monetization how's this i appreciate this could be a whole series of podcasts not one question in one episode but how's how's monetization potentially going to have to adapt to enable this or to make it viable You've both got deep, deep, sincere looks. Excellent, Carol. Yeah, it's. I mean, as you said, this this could be a whole podcast series, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think fu- fundamentally, you're gonna. Uh, well, one thing has already happened. I think one at the very beginning of sort of in-game purchases, they got a bit of a bad reputation, particularly because the the first set wave of sort of in-game purchases were progress-related. That's now changing. 
I think, you know, we are going to see it fairly soon tip into favor that uh, of what I call the cosmetic-related uh, in-game spending. And as long as it doesn't give the other player an advantage, mm-hmm. it no longer really should alienate players. You shouldn't, you know, I personally think you shouldn't need to pay money to be able to win or finish a game. Yeah. But you should be able to pay money to get an, uh, an additional uh, value in the sense of, you know, being uh, defining your image, just like you are going to pay, you used to pay a little more money for the hat you like instead of wearing a, you know, just a piece of uh, cloth that would keep your head warm kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just you know, uh, cosmetic stuff will, will uh, I think, just add to the ability of you to uh, essentially express yourself. So I personally don't have a, don't have a problem with that. The, the, the thing that I think we're still seeing and in terms of the discussion is, again, none of this is black and white. The reason yeah. of it, and there will be segments who are happy to embrace it and segments who are going to push back for the next probably 10, 20 years. The reason for that is that at the moment we are kind of experiencing what I call, we had a, actually a recent report at Media that I called the sort of generational bifurcation of the gamer. <laughs> and uh, it ties to the point from earlier about the need for digital natives to sort of define who they are, right? The, these younger consumers uh, are essentially playing games almost for the polar opposite reason than older gamers. Older gamers, in our survey, we run consumer surveys around these kinds of things every quarter, et cetera. And, you know, older gamers report that the the key reasons for gaming or for playing games for them is escapism or this sort of quote-unquote me time. Mm -hmm. While one of the key reasons for the younger gamers is the exact opposite. They are saying the main reason they're playing is to Stephanie's point, socializing, meeting new people, connecting, being in the moment, all those kinds of things. So... Essentially, we now got pretty much the ga- the average gamer split into two, mm, right? Right. You've got the older segment and the and the younger segment, and the jury is still out. I would say on, you know, uh, and I would uh, sorry, I would just say for now it kind of means that you know there is absolutely space for games to cater to either side. Mm. So I would never say you know yeah, it's only gonna be in game or it's only gonna be free to play, whatever the. Uh, for now, uh, you know, I would say the jury is still out on whether the escapist behavior will actually go away as the last generation of non-digital natives disappears over time, or whether the current digital natives and the new generation will actually find value in the escapist mm. uh, proposition as they age. Right. This is, you know, this is something we're going to real- find out in the next 10 years or so. That's- uh, there are reasons pro, for and against of why either side could end up happening. But the fact that the gamer uh, landscape or the player landscape is split is a fact right now. Yeah, I mean, I have a grotesque, anyone listening who knows me will know I have a grotesque bias towards arcade, but uh, real arcades, I'm almost thinking there's kind of a full circle there, right? That's a game's being switched on rather than escapism time. Immersing yourself in people. Um, Stephanie, I imagine you might have some thoughts on the kind of direction, how monetization might have to shift to change this. Or perhaps perhaps it won't. I'd just yeah, love to hear your thoughts on the monetization side of all this. 
Yeah, I think, you know, going back to where you had to buy the actual game that gets shipped in the mail, like you you've, you've still do. <laughs> clinging well, on, I'm clinging um, on. <laughs> yes, versus, you know, the free-to-play, which Zynga was at the front end of, of the freemium model. Um, but uh, And there are only a small percentage of players paid to um, – to progress in the game. And there was some decorative stuff. The other thing that Zynga actually did quite well was cause-based um, in-app purchases. And they did uh, contribute. Those went to the, the causes uh, fully, other than the cost um, associated with uh, platform fees and things like that. But that was something, too. I'll be curious to see if, along with the identity piece, uh, Carol, um, and I don't know what percentage this would be, but it is something where people do identify with where they're spending money. So even if it's not a nonprofit, um, do we see more models where people are spending money that's connected to their identity within the game um, as a as a revenue model? I'm not sure what that looks like, but there's something in my head that's like maybe there's some there there. Um, so the freemium models also were based really on advertising. So, for example, Words with Friends made more money from the free players that didn't pay for non-ads because they made more money from ads. This was back, you know, a decade ago. I'm not sure what it would be now. Um, and advertising is what supports a lot of games, both uh, on web, but also mobile in particular. So when you're playing and you have the interstitials um, with the ad pop-ups and the games, the the game publishers on mobile make money based on, you know, how good is the targeting of those ads. Uh, advertisers will pay more if the ads do better and you have better targeting, which means they've had to collect more data on people, which then ties into the whole privacy and where are we moving um, in that sense with governments putting more pressure on the model around advertising and shutting off um, some of the the data collection efforts that led to higher um, advertising revenues for game companies because they could target better. I, um, there's also a theory that because advertising needed to get so targeted to increase the um, you know, cost per thousand, the CPMs, uh, game developers, it, it had an impact on game developers building much more specific niche games so that the targeting could be better. And so if we could move away from that ad targeting model and maybe be forced to through government regulations and then also some of the um, operating system platforms like Apple has ATT, so the tracking where you can say, no, I don't want to be yeah. tracked, that actually um, limits the developer's ability to make money off advertising um, for a host of reasons, which would be another podcast <laughs> yeah. where you will. But um, <laughs> It'd be curious to see if with those pressures, we actually move away from the advertising model. And does that impact the content um, that that game developers are building because they are no longer they no longer can um, or are forced to like target really niche areas. So this goes back to what are alternative. You still need to make money. You have to pay your developers. You have to pay server fees. Um, people like me, you have to pay to make sure you're in compliance with consumer protection laws. So how do you make money? And that's where I go back to, is there a way where games can partner or be integrated into social networks or connect, um, where people are communicating and what do those revenue models look like? Is it back to in-app purchases? Um, 
or subscription models or things like that that are alternative revenue models that that actually lead to more, broader, better content. Um, I don't know, but I hope like I hope so. I'm curious to see what those revenue models might be, and I hope platforms rather than maybe, for example, Snap shut down their gaming platform, right? But maybe instead of trying to build a gaming platform, is there a different way to look at it of how you can integrate games through the API or directly into how people are communicating, and you can find ways to monetize that benefits the the social network as well as the game developer. That's what I want to see. Like, I'm curious about that. Make it a richer, like, more meaningful experience for people communicating and also have a better way to make money so people are paying for what they want. Um, that's what I want to see. I'm curious and I want to see that. I would, but we'll see. I think through the whole <laughs> conversation, we've had platforms, types of games, kind of culture crossing over with games, the way games are monetized. We're coming to a period of increased choice, right? I'm still going to be able to buy an obscure Japanese game in a box. And last night I was up playing games through a kind of stream service. It feels it feels like a fairly positive move forward to increasing breadth in what games can be. I better, despite the long list in front of me, make the next question my last because I'm aware of the time flying by. But to gaze a little bit further forward, and you can either go kind of full crystal ball gazing or just talk about 10 years from now. Where... Might we start to see this moving in a few more years? Might we see conversations about platforms becoming irrelevant, differentiating games from other mediums? Well, uh, Carol, I'm going to throw this to you. Where where do you think, what might be the next phase of this after what we've been speaking about for the conversation so far? So I think different companies will go different ways. You know, on the... You know, but if we take, I don't know, the console, even even within the console market, even though we're now talking particularly about, you know, around the acquisition that's about to happen, we're talking about, you know, who's competing against who. To me, yes, you know, Xbox and Sony PlayStation, they're both two boxes and two consoles, but they have different future long-term strategies. Xbox, Xbox's future is cross-platform. Uh, Sony's future is cross-entertainment, as we just saw with what's happening with Last of Us, and there is probably going to be more of those kinds of synergies happening because, you know, yeah. again, if you think about it, Sony probably has, across their music, video, and games catalog, they probably have one of the most impressive entertainment catalogs on Earth. Mm-hmm. Challenges, bringing it, you know, together. Yeah. So I, don't, I, don't, I, I actually see the traditional competitors of today competing with each other less and less. Ah. Who I think will compete... Uh, a lot over the next 10, 20 years is games and social media because they are both uh, trying to make sure that they are going to be the ones who become the epicenter of the digital culture. And both have, you know, sort of strengths and weaknesses at the moment. So, you know, social media, they already have all the sort of, you know, social connectivity and the variety of different entertainment formats and all those partnership deals in place. What social media doesn't yet have that games have is a lot of the games have mastered the 3D interface. Something that, you know, if we are talking about expression and living in digital is kind of important, right? And that, I guess, is the sort of, to me, again, when somebody, you know, brings the word metaverse up, to me, metaverse is nothing else but the transition from 2D to 3D interfaces. The walled gardens, in my opinion, are going to remain there for as long as for-profit companies exist. 
so uh, you know, to, to me, that's uh, we are going to see different companies go different way, and uh, to kind of I guess tie it back to what we started with, you know, the companies that are going to be the winners under that dynamic will be those that can help consumers cut through the digital clutter, help discover the right games for the right players at the right time, and. Uh, you know, again, I would I would expect high production, sort of budget, story driven, and even single player games still to be there in the next twenty years. But I expect the majority of you know games spend, etc., uh, is going to be coming from the cosmetic in game spending right. part. And you know, you mentioned they're kind of cutting through the clutter. It'd be um, con- and, you know, kind of getting to the consumers. It'd be very convenient if we had someone from an instant gaming company on the line. Um, Stephanie, you don't have to talk about instant gaming, but it did feel a kind of fortuitous fit there. Like, where do you? What's where do you see this going? Kind of, you know, a number of years from now or further into the future. Yeah, I think there's really interesting tension. Um, for me, the best gaming experiences would be interoperable. Like it shouldn't matter, you know, maybe you're on Xbox or you're on uh, your digital device and you can choose the way you interact with the game and you choose based on which which provides the experience you want. Um, but that comes in direct con- conflict with the reason content is sold is to sell more hardware, right? For both like Apple, also the um, the uh, Microsoft, Sony, et cetera. Um, and so those companies are, have incentives to keep people within their own platform or network or community. So I don't know how that would work, even though in my opinion, like the best experiences would be interoperable and you want to play, you want to connect, you can do it um, in the way that you want. So I don't know if we'll get there, but the tech, at least for instant games, is there to do that. Um, but it, it comes up against the different incentives from the companies uh, that are that have the content and are building the hardware that's needed right now or the community, you know, streaming uh, communities. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think we'll see is probably the most, uh, the smartest note to leave this <laughs> future gazing <laughs> conversation on. But honestly, Stephanie, Cara, I really feel we could, I've kept you much longer than I promised. Thank you for that. I really feel we could have talked much longer. It feels a really exciting time to be a player of games, maker of games involved in games. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time and insight. And, um, yeah, I look forward to seeing how the future games, future of games goes and if we were anywhere near right. Stephanie, Carol, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have us back in five years. We'll see if <laughs> yeah. our predictions will right. hold you. <laughs> I'll hold you both to every word, even though Carol said so many times it's not black and white. <laughs> yeah. And there it was, a really fascinating conversation about the future of how we consume games. It's quite exciting like the places games are going to go so yeah thanks for staying with us thanks for listening again massive thanks to both stephanie and carol for sharing their time and expertise and all those ideas um yeah the future is an exciting place for games speaking of the future we'll have another playable futures episode coming to the gamesindustry.biz podcast stream soon we're going to be talking about the future of mobile obviously mobile's nothing new it's transformative shift in what games could be kind of its effect on the game industry's ecosystem happened some time ago but there's still a lot going on with mobile and it's going to be a part of the future of games 
So do join us again on the GamesOnStream.biz podcast feed. And thanks so much for being with us for this Playable Futures episode. Bye. Bye.